Well, good morning, good morning. We are back in the book of Mark, and so we're going to be continuing in chapter 7 today. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, it'd be great. Or you can go to the summitstl.info. There's a sermon card there that you can click on and follow along with all that we're going to be doing today. I'm going to be uh, reading a short passage. It's a super interesting encounter. What I really would like for you to listen for as you're reading along is pay attention for the senses. Pay attention for the words that connect to our senses. So seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, not necessarily tasting in this, but of of the senses that we have, I want you to pay attention specifically for seeing, hearing, smelling, and touching. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, what would you say is your most powerful sense? What is your most powerful sense? It's not really a fair question as I was learning about this this week. It's not a scientific thing to say what is your most powerful sense, Maybe it's better to say, what is your most preferred sense? We have preferred senses. For me, for example, I prefer audio. I'm an audio learner. I like to listen to things. I'm not as good at reading books. I like to listen to books. I also am not good at smell. It is definitely my least preferred sense. We're not going to talk about anything about that today. We could have some fun with that, but I'm going to just spare you. Interestingly enough, which we know, when someone loses a sense, sometimes they compensate for it with other senses to make up for the loss. It's interesting, our senses work together to help provide for us information about the world around us. Even as I'm talking about senses, you're probably starting to engage with them a little bit, like what am I smelling, what am I seeing, what am I hearing? You know, our senses are fundamental to our survival, to our enjoyment of life, and they have an incredible capacity and connection, there's a lot of research around this, to our memories. Senses engage our memories. In fact, it's thought that through our senses, we develop some of our deepest connections. It's because of something we smelled at a significant moment or that a touch that we received at a significant moment or something that we heard at a significant moment. 
Counselors use the senses to help people really reflect on and understand their journey. Because senses can actually have, when we enter into them and kind of connect with them, help us with anxiety and to slow down and to enter into the moment. I mean, just to press in even a little bit more, when you go to a funeral, what do you often see? Hugs is what I thought of. A lot of very intimate connection, engaging, touching, tears. I have this voicemail on my phone from 2019, still on there, four years ago. My daughter, my middle daughter, Sydney, she got her first speeding ticket. And the first thing she did was call me. And I'm not going to talk about it because it will make me cry, but I kept it because I love listening to it because her need for me was so powerful to me. I just loved it, and I still love it. I love just listening to it. It does something for me, right? It stirs something in me. You know, we were created for intimacy, for personal connection. It's one of the main purposes of our senses to help us to know what it means to be human. And today we encounter this somewhat weird interaction that Jesus has with this man. Mark is the only gospel writer of the four to actually recount this story. Matthew may have referred to it, but Mark is the only one that really unpacks it. And it's this beautiful encounter where Jesus uses the senses to draw a man into a personal encounter with him. Last week, we saw, and it's this whole chapter 7, I would encourage you to maybe read it again this week. It all really goes together. Mark is blending these passages and interactions together where Jesus talked to the Pharisees about what makes someone clean, and then he has these two encounters, one with a woman last week where he tests her. It's kind of this unique interaction where he challenges her. And then we have this incredibly personal encounter that Jesus has with this man to connect with him and draw him in. And what we see with these kind of two things going together, we always learn much about Jesus. He's not just one way. He's able to interact and engage with us in the ways that we need. But what we discover is Jesus last week's loving engagement was through a test. This week's loving engagement is through a very personal, intimate encounter through the senses. It helps us know and believe that God's compassionate sovereignty can be displayed to us in many ways. But let's be honest, none of us want the testing <laughs> or the challenging or the rooting out of the sin in our lives. However, it's intimate encounters like the one we're going to see that Jesus has with this man, his gentleness, his care, his softness, his tenderness, it's this encounter that he has with Jesus that should help us trust. It should help us be patient, like Jonathan was teaching us, that even when we're in difficult and struggle-filled times, he truly does know what is best for us. In essence, what Mark is doing here with these two encounters in chapter 7 is he's showing us that it is the affectionate, loving heart of Jesus that is on display for us in difficult times and in the most intimate and gracious times. 
And last week we saw how Jesus deeply loves us by testing us, and today we're going to discover how deeply he loves us when he connects with us in a personal way. And so this morning, church, my proposition for us is this, is that Jesus turns powerful encounters into personal encounters to awaken our faith. Jesus turns powerful encounters into personal encounters to awaken our faith. So what we're going to do to discover this this morning is we're going to see Jesus do this through three things, through the senses, through the speech impediment, and through the spit, through the senses, through the speech impediment, and through the spit. Let's start with the senses. I love how this encounter starts with Jesus pulling the man aside. Mark even says it explicitly, and taking him aside from the crowd privately. Now, there's a lot of speculation. We don't know exactly Jesus' motivation for why he takes him to the side. I think for sure one of the reasons is the crowd. Jesus wants to have an intimate interaction with this man, and so instead of him doing something on display, and, and we know this about the book of Mark, that what Jesus is, he doesn't, he's not trying to make his miracles what matters. He, he wants what he's about to do, he wants the pointing to his death and resurrection to be the focus. So probably in this moment, there's this crowd, they're expecting something, and in Jesus' sovereignty, he decides, I'm gonna, I want to take this man to the side. And we, we have to remember that the reason why Jesus will do anything is twofold. One is he knows what is perfectly needed, and he knows what this person perfectly needs. And so he knows that this is what's going to be best for this man. So he, he draws him to the side because he wants this man to know how important he is to Jesus. I speculate that this man has been brought to other quote-unquote miracle workers in the past and healers in the past. And so maybe there's some anxiety for him built up in this moment. Here we go again. Is this really going to work? What's going to happen? And so Jesus draws him to the side, and then it gets really interesting. So I want you guys to try with me to enter into what this moment really was like. I mean, just think about this for me just for a second. We're not raising our hands necessarily, but who in here likes people touching their head? Right? So let's start with that. So, and then let's go, you know, maybe some of you are like, oh, but I do like it when my, yeah, there, thank you. Well, I do like it when my spouse touches my head. Or, okay, well, how many of you like it when people touch your ears? Now, remember, we're talking about a man who's meeting a man who he's never met. And this man now is touching his ears. Not just touching his ears, but he sticks his fingers in his ears. Okay, some of you are like, I'm fine with that. Great. So how many of you like it when someone spits on their hand and then comes up and says, can I... <laughs> I need to tell you a story that we laugh about as a staff. We do baptisms, and we, at the end, several years ago, we used to do this thing where we would uh, 
give people a candle, which we still do to say you are the light of the world. And we used to then take salt and put it on their lips. And we'd say, and you are the salt of the earth. Be salt. Well, we're in a bat- I'm in the baptismal and we're at the end of the, you know, this moment when we're finishing the baptizee and it's time to put the salt on the lips. I don't remember who it was. And so Linda is standing right here with a bucket of salt and I need my hands to get clean. So I stick them in the water and I rinse them off and then I go, stick it in the salt and put it right on their lips. So we don't do salt anymore at baptismal. We don't do salt anymore. So one more time, just enter in this with me, okay? Imagine if I were this morning to bring someone up here who was struggling and bring them up on the stage and take their head in my hands and take my fingers and stick them in their ear and then spit or lick my tongue with my spit and grab their tongue and touch it. That's weird, (laughs) right? It's strange. What we see, (laughs) I mean, Jesus could have just said, you're healed. Last week, when we looked at Mark chapter 7, where he tested the woman who had, whose daughter had a demon, what did he, how did he heal her? He was who knows how many miles away and just said, it is done, she is healed. I mean, he healed her without even seeing her. But now Jesus, what he's doing is he's coming to this man and, and he's entering into this powerful moment where he's going to heal him. But what is he doing? He's turning this powerful encounter into a personal encounter where he's taking something that could be easily done to show something powerful to him and he is becoming extremely intimate and extremely uncomfortable, if you will, by engaging this man's senses to awaken his faith. So we have touch, taste, and now we see sight and sound. Verse 34 And looking up to heaven, he sighs. He sighs. What kind of sigh do you think that was? It's interesting. I did some research. The Googles will tell us that there are two kinds of sighs. There are positive sighs, positive emotional sighs, and then there are negative emotional sighs. So positive emotional size would be a, re- a relief sigh. So like when you get in bed at night. <sighs> or the contentment sigh when you're looking at a sunset or a sunrise and you're like, <sighs> negative sighs are frustration sighs when you encounter a problem that you can't solve. <sighs> Right? And then there are the impatient sighs when you pull up and traffic is stopped and you have somewhere to get. Ah! Right? Do you know these sighs? Have you felt these sighs this week? There is a sigh that I think embraces both. 
It's a longing sigh. It's connected to the past and to the future. It's remembering how things were and hoping that things will be different. I think that's the sigh Jesus gave here. A sigh of, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Ah, frustration. And then a sigh of longing and of hope, knowing that there is a day coming when there will be no more pain and no more suffering and all things will be made right. And I think the tension that Jesus has in this sigh is also filled with his awareness of the cost that it will take for that to happen. A longing for things to be different, knowing they will be, but also that there will be a cost. And after the sigh, he speaks. Now it's interesting, we have this word that Mark tells us, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said, Now, that's an Aramaic word, and it's one of three times in the book of Mark that Mark is very explicit in using the word that Jesus said. And we talked about this several weeks ago when Jesus did it the first time in the book of Mark. And it's when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And Mark did exactly the same thing. In this incredibly powerful moment, he said, and Jesus said, Talitha kumi, which means arise little girl or rise my beloved. And here we have it again where he's using this very specific word. And what we talked about several weeks ago, just to remind us, is that when something like this happens, what Mark's trying to do is he's trying to help us engage in this moment, like to experience it, to enter in with our senses and and try to envision what's happening as we're seeing Jesus with this man and he had just looked up to heaven and he sighed so we're hearing these things, we're seeing these things, we're experiencing these things. Jesus' touch of him as well. And then Mark is like, I want you to know what he literally said because it's that powerful. And so he literally said a fa'etha, which means be opened. So Jesus engages with the senses and takes this power encounter, this healing, and turns it into the most beautiful personal encounter, an interaction, an intimate interaction of love and care to awaken this man's faith and to awaken the faith of the people around him. So much so that Mark tells us they couldn't even stop talking about it. And Jesus, I would argue, wants to have that same kind of intimacy with you and me. We sing, we taste communion, we listen to the word. Sometimes we want the power encounter, but what this miracle reminds us is that even though Jesus has the power to do anything, Actually, what his longing is for all of us is to have a personal encounter. I wonder if today you came longing for that personal encounter. I wonder if tomorrow you might wake up and acknowledge your need and longing for that personal encounter with him.
Well, there would have to be a reason for us to trust that he is not just some quote-unquote miracle worker. Like, what, what can we trust here that Jesus wants to have this personal encounter with us? How can we know that he's not just a man who walked the earth and, and did his thing? How can we really know that he is still alive and living and wants to have an impersonal encounter with me? Well, Mark actually gives us something that's pretty powerful in this passage to help us see that. And it's our second point this morning. It's the speech impediment. The speech impediment. In verse 32, it says, And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged and and then and was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Now, what Mark is doing is he's giving us something here in his writing to help show that Jesus is worthy of our trust. And it's the word for speech impediment. So I want you to say it with me. This is the word. It's Mogilalelos. Everyone say that. Mogilalelos. And it's what's translated there. It just means speech impediment. Sometimes it's translated as mute or unable to speak, difficulty in speaking. So he used this word. It's really one of the very few times in the New Testament that this word is used. I think it's used one other time. But what's interesting is the other time that it's used. Now, let me do just a tiny bit of Bible instruction here if I can. So there's a version of the Bible called the Septuagint. You may have heard of it before. Basically, the Old Testament was written in the, you know, from the early thousands up until probably the, the last um, book was written about 400 B.C., so before Christ. And in the time of 300 B.C. to 200 B.C., Greek was the main language of the world. And so what they did was they translated all of the Old Testament into Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in. All of the New Testament is written in Greek. But they translated all of the Old Testament into Greek so that they could use it because everyone was speaking Greek and this was how they wanted to understand what the Old Testament said. And that first ever translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. And Mark is writing to people who know Greek, right? A lot of his readers were probably Greek. Hang with me. This is going to get cool. Just hang with me just for a second. I promise. So we have here this, this word that he uses, mogilalelos. And what that should then ensue in us is Okay, well, why is he using the word mogilalelos to talk about the issue that this man has? Well, there is one time in the Old Testament, in the version of the Septuagint, where the word mogilalelos happens. And it's in Isaiah chapter 35. Now, Isaiah, the first 34 chapters are chapters of whoa, and things are a mess, and what are we going to do, and what's going to happen? And chapter 35 is the chapter of promise. And Isaiah paints this picture and says, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come And he will save you. So someone is coming who will save. And how are we going to know that he's going to save? 
The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mogilalelos will sing for joy. And Mark is saying, he is here. Mark wasn't just, that is cool. That is cool. Mark, I mean, there should be a moment for us here where we're, we're engaging with the beauty and the power of Scripture that when Mark was writing this, he wasn't just in his bedroom going, oh yeah, that was cool, I remember, and then just writing it down. He was writing in such a way that he wanted to engage with us, and he's saying, look, this isn't just a miracle worker who showed up and stuck his fingers in some guy's ear and spit on his hand and touched his tongue, and then all of a sudden he was able to speak. This is the one who was spoken about hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the one who has come to save, the one who is here to make the blind see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, and the mogilalelos to sing. So can I ask you, (laughs) what keeps us from responding to his invitation of intimacy? What are you doing (laughs) to keep God at arm's length? To keep him from drawing near to you? Is it that you're afraid he might ask you to give something up? To give up a belief that you have? To give up an action? Is it that you're afraid of being found out? (laughs) That you're afraid he might not find what, not like what he finds when you engage with him on that intimacy, in that vulnerable of a way? Well, there's hope, my friends. In keeping with the awkwardness of the encounter, I would offer to you that the answer for how beautiful Jesus longs to engage with you through the senses and how powerful it is that he came to heal the speech impediment, the mogilalelos, that you can trust him in every way. The true reason why we should come to him in the most intimate way is because of the spit because of the spit. Jesus used his saliva to heal, and he turned a power encounter into a personal encounter. But in some ways, what Mark is doing here, again, so intentional and specific with his language, is that he's using his words, especially in this passage, not to help us look back, but also to help us look forward. It's interesting. That word spit happens four times in the Gospel of Mark. Here, it's actually five times. We'll see it next week as well, but it happens here. Then we'll see it next week in the healing. And then in Mark 10, it says this. He tells us that he will be spit upon. That's, That's what Jesus speaking there. He's saying, I need you to know that this is what's coming. I'm going to be spit upon. And then he says these two things happen in Mark 14 and Mark 15. We see it again. He's actually spit upon and he is mocked and spit upon in Mark 15, verse 19. So why does this matter? Well, he knows what's hidden in you and me. He knows why we're afraid of a personal encounter. 
He knows what we deserve. And frankly, we deserve to be spit upon. We deserve punishment. We deserve death. But Jesus was spit upon for you and for me. He took upon himself what you and I deserve. And that, my friends, is how deeply he loves you. It's the most personal thing that someone can do for us is to suffer for us. In fact, Jesus took the most powerful moment in history when he died on the cross for our sins and turned it into the most personal invitation in history. Inviting you and I to come and encounter him in every way and in every vulnerable way in our lives. I want to challenge you this week to use your senses to engage with God personally, to see the powerful and understand that it's meant to be something personal. When you taste communion in a moment, think of the powerful, but enter into the personal. When you sing this morning, think of the power of a chorus of voices, but remember the personal. That there would be this walk in our lives this week where we would see the power of God, but remember that God's display of power through our senses and what we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch is an invitation to a personal encounter with Jesus. Because Jesus turns personal encounters, powerful encounters, into personal encounters to do what? To awaken us. To awaken us. In just a moment, we're going to head to the table and take communion. And I'll release you to head there when you're ready. There's four tables around the room and two up front here. And we have crackers that represent the perfect life of Jesus and then juice that represents the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And I'll invite you to take the cracker and dip it in the juice and taste the goodness of what Jesus has done for you, taking a powerful encounter and turning it into a personal invitation. But I'd actually want to try something with you this morning. (laughs) And I would like us to have our senses awakened for a moment so that we might engage in this personal encounter with Jesus. So would you just, if you're willing, you don't have to, close your eyes with me. And I want to ask you to join with me in picturing the cross. And it's three o'clock and it's dark and there's thunder. And I would ask you, what five things do you see? Just in your mind, in your heart here, just picture this scene. What five things do you see? And now, what four things do you hear?
what three things can you touch? What two things can you smell? And may you hear one more thing. It is finished. Now when you're ready, go to the table and taste the personal encounter Jesus longs to have with you.